Hello and welcome to another episode of Pitch Masters, the show that teaches you everything that you could ever want to know about pitching. This week I speak to internationally renowned executive creative director Matt Batten. We talk about his 10-point plan for pitching, storytelling with genuine human truth, hacking competitor ads, and how he landed Coca-Cola. Subscribe at pitchguy.co.uk and search for Pitch Guy on the socials for video clips of the episode. Happy listening. Matt Batten, what an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'm really excited about this. One of the reasons being that a lot of the guests I have on are theorists and conceptualists and you are a real doer. So let's start. <laughs> how do you introduce, how do you pitch yourself? The first question. I, I'm, I'm an ECD in advertising. Um, I've worked at international, multinational kind of agencies and worked at small ones in Sydney and London. I'm no stranger to pitching. It's, it's a very competitive game. Um, there's obviously new business pitches you have to do. I've pitched and won big global brand names for agencies um, like Coca-Cola, Shell, Amazon Prime, Pringles, Virgin Money, and even the Edinburgh military tattoo, right? But it's not just in the new business sets. It's also the day-to-day stuff, right? When you've got these sometimes outlandish ideas, you have to pitch them to the client. It'll be against a brief. And even the client has said, I want something really creative and interesting. You've still got to pitch it to them because as much as they can say they want something creative, they really want something they find quite risk-averse and safe, so you still have to pitch it to them. And pitching it to them is not just, you know, here's the idea, it's here's the intelligence behind it, here's the strategy and so forth. And I've done that for to convince clients to bury money on the internet or hack one of their competitors' campaigns, um, to dupe Google into being anti-Google for a while, um, to give away humans. Uh, I had a brand issue mustaches. I had a brand reprogram a Fitbit to work on a Jack Russell Terrier, um, had to pitch an, he pitched an idea to a client where we're going to train horses to dance to sell boots, to sell <laughs> shoes, right? So, and then I've got a lot of sideline ventures as well. Um, I, a few years ago, co-founded a tech startup with a mate of mine who was actually my former strategy director from Wonder Australia. Um, and we had to obviously pitch our groundbreaking digital platforms to potential investors and even media to go and get some coverage on them and so forth. I, I'm now very big into screenwriting, short films and feature films. So pitching concepts and stories to hopeful directors and producers or even actors trying to build something there. Um, and my most my, my favourite thing at the moment is I've just finished writing my debut fiction novel and I'm now pitching that to literary agents and publishers to try and get myself on bookshelves. I'm a creative guy. I have lots of ventures in creative pastimes. My career doesn't quite fulfill all the creative needs, so I have these sideline projects to get creative stuff out there, but it's all a pitch. Everything you got to do is pitching, pitching, pitching to try and get the next the next thing. Uh, I don't want to sound like a wanky entrepreneur. Uh, <laughs> um, in fact, I find most people who call themselves an entrepreneur are really they're just a dilettante. <laughs> they're just right. trying anything they can to get ahead. I'm focusing on what I know I can do in these creative spaces and you've got to pitch your skills and your wares 
to try and get something out of it, try and turn something out of it. You said so many things that I love it. You said so many things that really piqued my interest. I, I'm going to ask you about dancing horses and things a little bit later. <laughs> and you've got this 10 point plan then that you go through yes. for pitches. Now, before yes. you tell us the 10 point plan, does it work for everything? So you've pitched, I know that you work in advertising, but I know you through IT consulting, really. Of course. Yes. And you also, you know, you're pitching a book, you've pitched a startup. Do you follow the same 10-point process no matter what you're pitching? The 10-point process is for pitching to potential new clients to win their business. Um, and it's it's built up out of all those years' experience of doing pitches but also running agencies and making sure that we're not wasting our efforts and we're putting our best foot forward. And it's very easy to get... A potential RFP or whatever for from a, a new client or a potential new client, and everyone just jumps and goes, "Oh, that'd be awesome! It's for Coca Cola. That'd be great." <laughs> but the agency doesn't have the skill set or the bandwidth, or 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 it might just not turn out to be financially viable for them. Um, and so, the ten point plan I've got is to just assess the situation for the first couple of steps, and then when we agree to go for it the steps we go through to make sure we're all on point and we're doing the best pitch ever. And I guess the best pitch I've ever done to date, and it was a while ago now, unfortunately, it would have been back in 2012, 2011, 2012, it was for Coca-Cola. And it was the best pitch ever. And we'll talk about that again later as to why it was the best pitch, um, because I think that's one of the things you should be doing in a pitch of what we learned in that. But the 10 points is first thing is, is just questioning yourself, is my business up to the challenge? And... Uh, I do that with, you know, I do, I, we do the a four C's, right? Do we have a client contact that might help us get some inside information or whatever it is to make the relationship smoother? Um, do we have the competency? Competency. Are we well-placed with our skills or experience portfolio for it? Do we have the capability with our team right now? Do we have the resources and the budget to go for this? Um, and the criteria. Is it a client that fits our agency's brand purpose and without a conflict? without there being one of our clients going, oh, they actually work in the same field as us and we don't really work on. So those kind of assessments, just to work out, are we right to pitch for this piece of business? Then when you've, when you've got everyone going, yep, I think we are right, we've answered yes to hopefully all of those things, but at least two or three of them, we're going to go for it. Um, the next thing is, so what's the benefit, right? We know we, we know we can go for it, but why should we go for it? Now, in agency space, most people talking three C's. I kind of do four C's on this one. So I love doing four C's, three C's. On this one, it's um, cash, creative, credentials, and capability. Is this brand or project going to provide substantial positive impact to our PL? All right. Is it going to increase our revenue? Or creative, is it a good creative opportunity? It might not give us a lot of money, it might not have high margin, but it gives us really great creative opportunities to get noticed that might attract other business. The third one is credentials. Is it a brand that is well-known and when you win it, other brands go, oh, you work with that brand, we want to work with you mm. too. And I had that with Coca-Cola. Once we won Coca-Cola, we had telcos and McDonald's and so forth calling us because we were the agency working with Coca-Cola. So credentials is one of those things. Um, and then capability is the last one. Is it a, a brand or project that's going to allow us to not operate outside a wheelhouse but you tap into some complementary skills? Maybe you want to build up, so in a creative agency, you might want to build up maybe a media offering or you might not do digital, you want to build up your digital offering. Maybe it's got that ability to allow you to stretch that far. So you're at least assessing what's it going to provide us. And if it's not giving us cash, creativity, 
credentials or capability, then you don't go for it because what's in it for your business? Right. So once you've decided we should go for it and what's in it for us, then you go through how do we actually do this pitch, right? you got to make sure you're able to do business as usual. If you're focused so much on a pitch that you are forgetting about your existing clients, mm. existing projects, you're going to fall over. you got to protect yeah, your I've core seen at that the same time. Before. Yeah, must keep protecting your core. So make sure you've got people, the resources to be able to do it. Um, and that means putting on your A-team. Find the best people for this. Sometimes agencies will go, well, these are our three people who are good at pitches. We'll just get them, and that might work for them. But sometimes you might go, hang on, we have an account director who worked on this brand or the competitor brand for six years. They should be on this pitch because they have so much information. So make sure you've got your A team. Bring in the best people from, in again, in agency world, it'll be from account service, from project management, from strategy, from creative, from studio from production. Bring in the best people so you've got the right heads in the room to put the best foot forward. The next part is have an ignition session. Get those people together. Tell them what you're going for, why they're in the room, what you expect of them, and get, kind of get them all excited, right? A bit of a rah-rah mm. session. Um, and then you're also working out a timeline, making sure that you've got the pitch credentials will have, or the pitch RFP will have, here's a list of timelines we want to do. Within an agency, you need to go, right, so they need, they're just telling us when they want us to present back and when they're going to make a decision. But to present back to them, we need to have work ready two days beforehand to put into a really good presentation deck and rehearse it we need this and this and that. So you've got to work backwards and make sure you have enough time in there to do everything. And you never have enough time. It is a crunch of time. It's a pressure cooker situation. But at least creating a timeline allows you to stay a little bit honest with yourself of how you're going to get from one stage to the next. I've lost count the number of times, again, as the creative, you're there at the 11th hour, the last day before the pitch is due or the presentation is due, and you're working all night. And I just mean a late night. I mean all through the night. You never go home. People are turning up at 9 a.m. the next day and going, you're in the same clothes and you're a little bit and sweaty. <laughs> yeah, because I haven't gone home because you guys didn't do your job two mm-hmm. weeks ago, and now I'm trying to fill up the time. Yeah, I, 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 I still find that today. Let's get the pitch d- done. Um and then at the very end, we'll get the creatives to sprinkle some magic fairy dust. Yeah. They even use those yeah. words sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of it is is chewed up in strategy. And, it, and a fair amount of time should be used in strategy. But I've just found a general rule of thumb is if you've got two weeks to deliver a pitch, use one week for strategy and one week for creativity. Right. There's no point in doing, out of those 14 days, doing 12 days of strategy and then not being able to let that strategy come through in great creative or vice versa, whipping out strategy in two days and then trying to make like you know, make a, a purse out of a sow's ear. They have equal weight, equal prominence. Make sure they both, both have time. And can you do it in parallel? You kind of can and you kind of have to. So a strategy will get you so far with the insights and a really good single-minded proposition for the creatives to then base their ideas on. And then as you're working on that, strategy will still be working in the background on other stuff that, inf- that informs it. However, and again, you, you see this quite often, that the creators have been briefed and they're cracking on and they've been working on it for three days. And then strategy comes in and says, oh, we've just had some new research or we've just had some new thoughts and we're going to change the proposition and all this stuff is out. Now, what that does is it, it's, 
it's not just demoralizing, but it's a massive waste of time, which is head hours that you're not billing to accounts you could be working on. It's investment you've made as an agency into trying to win this that you've wasted. Yeah. And it's not cheap time either. It's quite expensive time. So, so trying not to backtrack. I mean, you have to sometimes, if you look at things at the last minute and it's wrong, you can't present it. You've got to fix it. But try and get it all right in the first place. This is what you do day in, day out. You get a brief. You come up with a strategy. Present, you get creators on board. They come up with ideas. That doesn't change. Right. So why does it keep changing in a pitch? Because everyone feels the pressure and they start second-guessing mm. themselves and second-guessing each other and then doubting. So, yeah, make sure you've got a good brief. Um, in terms of the pitch itself, one of the other things you look at um, in the 10-point plan is making sure you've got a good story. And it's not just about the pitch, it's like, as in what are you presenting, it's how you're presenting it. I, some, so I've used the story methodology quite well. I did it, I did it um, when we pitched for a... a quite a famous Australian paint brand called Wattle in Australia. Um, and it's a little bit about the story, but it was almost the future story in which our pitch wasn't just here's a campaign, it was here's a new brand platform, here's a new tagline, if you will, that everything this company is going to do will ladder up to this particular tag or this platform. Um, and, and it was quite simply, don't worry, it's Wattle. It was about having faith in that company and its products and its services and everything against all the competitors. And in the pitch, we, talk, we talked about the consumer need. So you're telling a good story there. But then also you're leading into the idea of why this is right. And then the story I did on the back end was we believe in this platform so much that long after we have all left this business and retired, and I pointed at everybody in the room. There's like eight people around the table, and I pointed at them individually, saying as long after we have all left this business and retired, this line will still be on bus sides and billboards. And oh, you gave me a shiver down my out. spine just saying that to me. And that's, that what that's what they got. That's what they got. It wow. was a powerful future story. They were seeing a legacy they could leave for this brand, right? So stories and pitch theater do work. So, so let's just pause on stories then before sure. we move on because I love storytelling. And I've read a lot of books. I've spoken to a lot of people. Do you have a method or a framework that you use to compose stories for pitches? Make it emotional, and if it's built in in some honesty and truth, like most of what I tr try to do is based on what I call the genuine human truth. Mm. What connects human beings at the right level to make them pay attention, or change their behaviour, or buy your product, or even buy the pitch you're selling? A human truth will do much better than try to fabricate something because we can sniff out inauthenticity from a mile away. And when I, when I gave them that line of this is going to outlive us, this line will outlive us, they knew, they knew that I knew. I wasn't making that up right? because it was a good line and we knew that they were going to resonate, it was going to resonate with them. But I was not just telling them it's just a line. It's a, it's a legacy. It's something you could, it's a mark you can make in your career for all immortality. That kind of thing they felt they believed. There's another one that, I, that we pitched just last year for a tourism um, region in Australia and the rest of my team kind of laughed they kind of raised their eyebrows when I did this in the pitch document and this was a document we weren't getting to go and present it because it was mm. from a government body so it just had to be a document and when I included this as the first page so you go through here's all the housekeeping stuff and then you go right now we're going to get into 
our presentation to you of, of our strategy and so forth, the very first page, I told them a story. And when people read that, they were going, you sure you want to include this? It's a little bit self-indulgent. Yeah, I've been there. Now, the reality was it was that story. Now, it wasn't just that story, but that story laid the foundations for everything they're going to be seeing from that page on in the presentation deck. The pitch we were going for or we were presenting was that the tourist region that was not known, what it needed to do was make it easy for people to go there and explore all the most amazing things of that region. So what they should do is create micro itineraries, things you can do in one day, 10 stops on it, and feel like you've seen everything you need to see of that region based on that, your interest. So if you're interested in history, here's the 10 most historic things to look at in that region. Drive in on this road, see this, stop here, do that, and we'll tell those stories along the way, and then you go home and you go, that was amazing. That's what That was what our, our creative idea was. To sell that, I told them the true story about how when my wife and I got married, one of our good friends who's French, he knew we were going to Paris for our honeymoon, and his wedding gift to us was a simple little slip of paper that was, he put it in an envelope and said, open this when you get to Paris. And so we didn't open it in the, on, the, on the wedding. We waited till we got to, to Paris and we opened it up and it was him saying, start here at, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but start here at this particular uh, metro station, go down this street, turn left, look at this thing, stop here for coffee, go here and talk to this guy. And it was tall. He gave us a little walking tour of, of the North Bank of Paris. And there's even a point halfway where he says, stop here and have an ice cream. And while you're having your ice cream, lean on this wall and look up at the second window above you. I used to live there. And you realize that you're walking his footsteps, getting a day in his life. But it was, we explored stuff we would never have seen otherwise. And it was, we've we've since passed that, that list on to, I don't know, a dozen other people. I was even in Paris once on my own at a cafe and I heard a, Husband, an American husband and wife next to me saying, we've got one day left. What are we going to do? I don't know what we should do. And I leaned over to him, pulled it out of my pocket and said, do this. Trust me. Got up and paid my bill and left. Now, I don't know if they did it or not, but I, if they did it, that would have been the best day of their entire trip because they were suddenly exploring stuff they hadn't done. I'd use this story in the first page of our pitch document to prime them of this is a real thing that happened and it had an emotional connection with somebody. We need to recreate that for tourists. And it's just so memorable as well. That's the thing about stories. You you leave an indelible mark. It's so easy to just grab that and leave it in the recesses of your mind. Whether if instead you'd say, okay, this is exactly how we're going to lay out the artifacts that we think you need to use in the tourist industry. It'd be like, okay, well, I remember that for about 30 seconds probably. Yeah. And look, we won that pitch. The campaign has been running uh, for the second half of last year and only about three weeks ago we got an email from the client. They had actually received an email. And this is interesting. This is a government body and somebody, a consumer, a citizen, had looked up the website to find an email address for the tourism body to email them to let them know, I did one of your itineraries the other day. I saw it advertised on Facebook and I did it. And I've got to say, it was the most amazing trip I've ever done. I'm coming back to do all the other ones. Wow. And the client forwarded that to us. And 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 that's when you know it's not just worked, it's touched people. Yeah. And and sure, it was one lady, but for one person who writes in, and you know, the old saying of 
for every for every you know one person who gives you good feedback, there's there's you know eleven who will give you bad feedback. But no, we know quite well this has worked. No one's complained. There's been no complaints. So there must be ten times that number of people out there yeah, yeah. doing doing these trips and, and just in seeing this region. Right. Where are we on our pitch ten point pitch process? What number are we on? Oh, I think we're on number five or six. All right. Let's pretend it's number six. Um, the, set, the next one is all about the deck itself. Um, mm. So when you're doing a pitch, it's very easy to get caught up in creating a really long, you know, very wordy, text-heavy kind of presentation. If your pitch requires you to present, make sure that you are having two versions one that's the presentation version and one that's the actual leave-behind deck and submission. The deck includes all of the notes, all of the stuff that your speaker is going to say. The presentation itself does not. There should not be more than 10 words on a slide when you're presenting. Um, in fact, I've done presentations where you have just a one, one visual and it has two words on it, and then you t- your prompt and you know what to say. So you got to make sure you get these decks right and have their purposes so no. let's talk about visuals for a second. Yeah. Because for you, you've got a, you know, you've got a natural eye for visuals and a lot of experience. You're in that industry. Thinking about those who are in, say, the IT industry. Sometimes these people don't have the creative support they need and they've got all the answers and they're incredibly intelligent and smart. Is there any advice you could give to people who don't have a creative team and they want powerful visuals? Yes. So, so what I said stands still stands true for them. Don't overload your slides with so much information, for several reasons. One, it's information overload. People will read the first. Some people will read the first couple of line and they'll zone out. They'll get bored. It also feels like you're trying too hard. What it also does for others is they're just reading the slide and they're no longer listening to the presenter. If they're not listening to the presenter, they're no longer engaged as a human to human contact. And that's where you're losing out the chemistry. You just you must have just given them submitted them a, a, a PDF or a printed document and walked away. Presenting is all about how do I command the room? How do I make them listen to me? How do I make them understand that I'm the expert in this and I can solve the problems that they're coming to me to get solved? Um, and it's not about the stuff that's on the slide. It's about how you're presenting it. And sure, you'll have slides where there's going to be graphs or charts or whatever. They're they're really important. But in those moments where, like I said, this storytelling, the story that I that I just, I uh, let's say the wattle one, where I said this is going to be a legacy, it was just one big picture of a house that was freshly painted and it had the words, don't worry, it's wattle on it. And I was able to talk to them and I still address them. So that way they're watching me, not watching the three words on the screen. Um, if I was to present the Paris story, I would have just a picture of Paris and no words and just talk to them. So I would say even if you're in IT, even if you're in finance, know your material, know the story you're going to say for each of those slides. And the story could be a nice emotional story, or it could be, let's talk numbers. Let's talk about how this particular fintech brand had double digit growth as a result of this particular strategy or approach. You can talk about that if you know it and you don't need it on screen, because that's the third problem with being on screen is you start reading. You're looking down at your laptop on the second screen or you turn around at the big screen and you're trying to read it. And now you're no longer a good presenter and, and no longer giving them faith and confidence. Okay. Sorry, I keep I keep digressing you, but I just there's so many bits to dig into here. So we talked about the decks, yes. making sure the decks have a purpose. Also make sure there's a deck master. It's very version control. 
when you get to that last 24, I try to do the last 72 hours to 48 hours, one person has the master deck. And if anybody needs to make a change, which they will do, they get a copy of it, they make changes on their copy, and they mark which slides they've made changes to and let you know, let the master the deck master know so he can then update, he or she can update the master deck. Um, otherwise, you've got people going in and changing stuff in parallel, and then it gets out of sync, right? So that you might have, again, in my world, you might have the creative director is going in and rewriting the intro manifesto that's about to launch the creative idea, while the strategist is going in and going, oh, I'm going to change the way we set up our proposition, and now they don't line up anymore. I have many dull stories about version control and having to merge <laughs> things, you know, the night before and thinking, oh, boy. And, and if you're not careful, the wrong slides get presented. I mean, that's oh, just the worst yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering uh, if you had any thoughts on headlines on slides and, and whether there's a, a maximum amount of words or, or how you go about that. Because my advice is always don't use titles. Let's not say governance. Let's yeah. come up with an opinion, a headline. Yeah. And I, I think I think they both have their place. So, yeah, minimize the text. You know, general rule of thumb, don't use more than eight words. That's what you do in a headline when you're writing an ad or a billboard or whatever, no more than eight words. Um, it's got to be short. It's got to be succinct. It's got to make sense. Um, don't try and get too clever, but also don't be mundane. As you said, don't go, you know, governance, colon, the pathway to improving documentation within an operational structure. I mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> Can't you just talk about a better way? Yeah. Right? Simple. The, sim simplify things because, again, as much as they are buying, a business is buying your business's capabilities and professionalism, people in a room are buying people. It's a human connection. Um, so, yeah, it's all about that chemistry. Uh, in the template plan, you've got to have check-ins, uh, making sure you're sticking to those timelines. Everyone's in the room again, right? And that can be quite brutal because quite often you've got, you know, creative work up on a wall or the deck up on the wall and everyone gathers around and they start cutting it and slashing it to pieces. Some of that's necessary, but again, your pitch master, the person who's in charge of the pitch, should go, no, I think this stays in for this reason and, yes, that can go for this reason and move forward. But you do need to have those check-ins. And actually, that's a good point. You've, you've also got to have, really, a designated leader. Yeah, right? you do. Because yeah. a lot of these things are too democratic sometimes, I find. And, and it yeah. means that you everything becomes grey rather than black and white. Yeah. And when I talked about putting together your A-team, yes, you should assign a, a person who's in charge of that pitch. They make, they're going to make the decisions. Um Quite often, it'll be in an agency. It'll be two people. It'll be the strategy director and the creative director. Um, yes, it'll also be the major, the managing director, or the senior account director. But when you're pitching strategy and creative, those are the two things that have to be governed. So they should have their governors there to make sure they're happening. Um, you're not pitching account service, account management. That happens once you've won the business and you're now managing the projects. Um, so, yeah, it's usually the strategy director and the creative director. But try to have one person. Um, if those two people don't see it eye and eye, and we've seen it before, two or three pitch leaders, and they, they just do not get along, they've all got differing points of view, they're not going to win. They need to agree. What's, what are we going for? What are we doing? 
I think number nine would be the, the chemistry sessions um, or a tissue session, as we sometimes call it. So chemistry sessions are really important. It's about getting to know them. So it can be challenging for those government ones or a remote pitch where they're going, just submit your deck or present to us on Skype, right, or Zoom. Zoom kills all the chemistry. Mm. We've done it. We've asked for time to present to them. Even if it's not the final presentation, we've asked for, can we pre- can we come in and present to you halfway through the process our initial thinking and get your feedback or just show you where we're at? And that's called a tissue session. And a tissue session is good for getting their feedback. Quite often you don't get much feedback, but what it's really good for is that chemistry. You're showing them here's our way of working. Firstly, we're being very inclusive. We're including you. We're being very collaborative. But also we're in the room. You're hearing us talk about things and spouting our intelligence about strategy or insights and so forth or data. Um, and, and when we're having ideas, and I have done this once or twice, you intentionally throw in something that's not very good and have it set up that one of your colleagues is going to go, oh, what if we did this? So that you feel like you're actually brainstorming in the room, right. and the client goes, "Oh, I'm seeing, I'm seeing it in action here. This yeah. is what I'm going to be buying into. These guys are on fire. They work as a team, <laughs> right?" So, so again, that's a, that was a little bit of pitch theater where you can set things up. Yeah. Why is it called a tissue session? No. It's called a tissue session. Now, jokingly, people refer to it because a tissue session, you get out your tissues and cry because right. it's all bad feedback. But no, in the old <laughs> oh, days, see. in the old days, so Mad Men days. They would go in and just have them roughly drawn up on tissue paper and okay. present it on tissue paper rather than on artboard because it's cheaper, but also it means it's easier to change. And if the client likes it, you can use that tissue paper to do an impression against the artboard. Mm, there you go. Nice little bit of pitch history. There, there. you go. Love pitch, that. pitch history. Um, but yeah, chemistry sessions are probably the biggest thing because even if procurement and and when you walk into a room, you can assess out of the eight people you're presenting to who the procurement person is because they'll be the one in the buttoned-up shirt with a tie that doesn't match and they don't say anything and they're making notes voraciously uh, because they're the ones who are just going, can we afford this, can we afford this, can we get it cheaper, can we get it cheaper? They're only interested in the ideas. They're switched off at all the ideas, all the stuff you're actually being asked to present and then all they care about is can we afford this? Uh, even they need to know this chemistry because after you've had good chemistry in a room, that cl- you've left, that client will go away and they'll talk about all the various companies that are pitched to them. And they'll go, they'll go oh, those guys, that were, they were really, really good. They're talking about the chemistry. And if they hear the, if the procurement guy hears them talking about that quite positively, he might give them a little more slack. He might go, look, they're going to be easy to work with because my team likes them. And therefore it's going to be less changes, less errors, and that's going to save money in the long run, that kind of thing. Chemistry is important. And number 10 on the 10-point plan, the rehearsal. Never pitch without rehearsing. Now, it doesn't mean and it doesn't mean you have to get all of your people in a room and pretend you're presenting to a client. That does help. And it helps even more if you get a couple of your other colleagues in to pretend to be the client and throw curly questions at you or spot the flaws so you've got time to fix it, right? Do a rehearsal, do more than one rehearsal, and don't do the rehearsal. If you've got a presentation at 10 a.m., don't do your rehearsal at 9 a.m. <laughs> it's too late to remember it. It's too late yeah. to change stuff. Do your rehearsal two days earlier. Ideally, you've got the time. Even the deck's not finished, right? We've done that. You're going through the first part, and you go, oh, this slide's empty, but at this point we're going to be talking about this. Everyone understands what's going on because what you're doing is you're not just 
you're not just learning how to stand up and talk about this stuff. You're getting more comfortable with your colleagues and the notion of what you're presenting, the story you have to present. You're finding the flaws and you're getting more comfortable with it. And part of that rehearsal for me is writing the deck. So I'm quite often the deck master. I will write the presentation deck because I'm the one who's going to be presenting 90% of it anyway. That way, if I've written it, that was my first rehearsal, my first memory structure build. The rehearsal becomes the second, third rehearsal comes to the next one. And when I go into the room, I can almost do it without looking at the slides. Now, I'm not that good. <laughs> Your brain still forgets. You get stressed out. You get a cockeyed look from somebody in a room and it makes you go, oh, do they hate what I just said? Do I need mm. to backtrack? Uh, all that sort of stuff happens. We're only human. We make mistakes. So let's talk about that for a second. Do you ever take notes or or anything to fall back on if you if you are worried about forgetting words or a lot of the presentations platforms software we use keynote um but obviously powerpoint does as well you can have presenter notes so they don't go on screen behind you they're on your laptop in front of you the challenge with presenter notes is certain people can use them and others can't for some people that become a crutch and you end up just staring at the bottom of the screen reading um, and then it's obvious they're just reading and not presenting and engaging the room. So when I write presenter notes, I try not to write out all like verbatim what I need to say. I have the bullet points, word prompts, almost think of it like a, yeah, just five words to prompt me off. Don't forget to talk about this point and this point and this point. And I will f- remember the sentences or if I've forgotten them, fabricate them on the spot based on the one word prompt. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever had complete, your brain going blank in the middle of a pitch. Um, I've never had I've never had a total brain blank. Um, I have had a couple little f- oh, faux pas and things like that where you just you just trip up yourself. Um, I was once I was presenting for for a client and I at once I almost said the competitor's name instead of their brand name, and I said the first. I think it was just the first letter or the first syllable and then right. corrected myself. But it was enough for them to go, you thought, well, the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't cost us the pitch, but it's, again, yeah. it's a thing that now has taken their attention off what you're saying and then they're having a little mental joke inside their head. He nearly said the competitors, what a dickhead. <laughs> but it's like you said earlier, you, you might have not had any sleep for a number of days. It's a that's lot quite, of pressure. That's, that's quite right. often what it is. Quite often. In fact, the worst one I ever had, I tell people this also because quite often these days, no one's working, not many people are working through the night. Um, and and I don't want to sound like the old guy in the room, but quite often you've got your, your younger team members going, oh, I've got to go at six o'clock because I've got Pilates and so forth. So the pitch is on tomorrow. I think we should skip Pilates and focus on winning $2 million. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 not all the time, but in certain instances, I will mention to people of it's no longer like, like it used to be. The worst one I ever had, and I won't mention the agency or the client because that will give anything away and upset people. I worked 70, not 70, what was it? It was, sorry, 50, 54 hours straight. Mm-hmm. So think about that for a second. That's more than 48 hours. That's two days that I did not go home did not change my clothing or shower because I was still in the office. I was in studio design at the time, working on all the assets. And this is before there was big pitch decks. It was everything had to be printed out and, and mounted on large boards for them to take off and put up around the room and so forth. It was 54 hours, myself and my colleague, nonstop. Got in at 9 a.m., worked through the day, through the night, 
The next day, and everyone comes back in after being refreshed. We're still there working. And we did that again through the night. And they come back in the next day. They go, have you guys gone home? It's like, no. And we were meant, we'd, we'd lost like sleep loss, deprivation, all that sort of stuff. It was dangerous. Yeah. Um, thank God that stuff doesn't happen anymore. But that was a very big, very important pitch. And we were the two guys responsible. They should have had eight people on it. It was just us. And we had to deliver. We, we, could, not, we could not let it get to that pitch day and have them come in, and we're still trying to finish off artwork and so forth. We needed them to come in and just, it's all laid out, ready to go. They came in, we made some changes, did the last little bits, we hung around until they'd done the rehearsal, and after they'd done the rehearsal and said we're good to go, we went home. That was the 54 hours nonstop marathon and mental. Anyway, rehearsals are important, timelines are important, and you don't get that kind of stuff. Um, so that's that's kind of the 10-point plan. There is a little sub-point, a sub-note on the 10-point plan, which is a pitch is never over to the fat lady sings. Yeah. There's always an opportunity after you've submitted your documents or you've done your presentation to keep the dialogue open. Now, you don't banter. Don't keep going, are you ready yet? Have you made a decision yet? Have you made a decision yet? It might be, and we've done this once or twice, where you've found a white paper that's entirely like super relevant to the business and super relevant to your presentation, where you went, let's not include that in the presentation. We'll, we'll use it as information to inform us. But after we've done the presentation, we'll wait three days and then we'll email it to the client contact going, oh, we just found this. It's very interesting. It reflects a lot of the stuff we we're talking about. It allows there to be another contact point. It shows you're still on it. You're not asking them and begging them. It shows that you're still thinking about them and their brand even after you should be stopped, should stop thinking about it. But also in that instance, by showing them a white paper that reflects your information, it's supporting what you presented to them and reminding them. So we did it in three days because that was what we had estimated. By then, they should have done all of the other agency presentations and they're not getting any more agencies in. And that allowed us to be another reminder. So if we were the first agency up and then four other agencies come through in the following three days, we then remind them of, don't forget about us. Right. So that's great. I, I, let's hear about some of the pictures that you've used in that plan. You mentioned Coca-Cola and you've kept me in suspense now <laughs> long enough. I've got to hear about this greatest ever pitch. So, so Coca-Cola uh, is, is one of the brands that everybody wants. Now, it can be lucrative. Um, sometimes it can be very difficult to work with, um, but everyone wants it. Because you're hoping he's got cash. You hope, well, you're pretty sure it's going to give you cash. You're hoping it's going to give you creativity. You know it's going to give you credibility. We heard that through our network, this is what I was at Wonderman, Sydney, and we'd heard from one of our colleagues in Singapore that Coca Cola Australia was sniffing around in Singapore for agencies to work on the account in Australia because they didn't think there was anybody in Australia capable of what they actually needed. And so he told us that, and that allowed us to go, let's reach out to them. So we reached out. To, we found the, we looked up their details on LinkedIn and so forth, did a bit of research, found the right contact person, reached out to them with our, our Singapore contact. We don't, didn't just drop in, didn't just uh, photobomb or anything like that. We made sure we go. We heard from our colleague in Singapore that you may have been asking about agencies there. We're hoping that you might have time for us to come and just present to you our capabilities because we think we can offer what you what you need. And they were good enough to say, yes, come on in. So we went and presented to them just our credentials, but our credentials included a very cutting-edge piece of 
engagement technology. It was it was virtual reality we'd created for Earth Hour only six months earlier that cleaned up in award shows around the world. It was the most cutting-edge version of virtual reality before virtual reality, I think it was even called virtual augmented reality, was even really a thing. And we that was the core of our of our portfolio. And they looked at that and went, wow, we didn't know anybody was doing that stuff. Okay, then. That made them reconsider their process. And we ended up pitching against two agencies in, I don't know if they're both in Singapore, but certainly Asia Minor, and one other agency in Sydney that they pulled out of the wings as a wild card. So we at least got them to reconsider their entire pitch path and consider Australian agencies. Then we went through the process of, and it was for their loyalty programs, not really sexy stuff, but what we did do is our presentation was so buttoned down that we wanted to show them an entire 18-month plan of everything we're going to do for their loyalty program. And the first part of that for us was signing all of our staff up to that loyalty program. So everyone registered. Uh, everyone was going out and buying Coke. And, and we said, any Coke you buy, we'll reimburse you. It's all on the agency. Get the codes, enter them into your, once you've logged in for loyalty program, enter them in and build up your points and get tell us what the experience is like. Now, while that was all happening, we we're building up a really good presentation of some great work, a really interesting story about this 18-month roadmap. And even I'd, I'd presented it almost like a calendar, a slideshow, a, a slideshow that moved from left to right with little markers at the top that went month one, month two. And they got to a point where saying, you know, January 2012, you know, then June 2012, so they could see, oh, shit, this is really going to work. All this stuff's happening. They could see it all leading up. What we did find also, while, we're, while our team was, was trialing their service, is that about 70% of their codes didn't work. Wow. People are buying Cokes and entering the codes, and it's not giving them the points. And it would say this code is invalid or, or uh, this code has expired or sometimes it would say this code has already been entered. And they're going, but I just bought it. I, it's no way it's been entered, right? So in our pitch back to the client, we included that little discovery in the presentation about how we want to connect with them and their team on their back end to understand where some of the flaws might be in their loyalty program and when saying flaws in the loyalty program made a couple of years prick up going, how dare you right. question our loyalty program that we spent millions on? But then we had a slide that showed essentially a desk filled with Coca-Cola bottles and cans that we'd purchased and then screenshots of multiple, because the, the code was under the belly wrap of the bottles. Yeah. Multiple of those. And, and talked about how, and then screen grabs of the error messages that people were getting on their platform. And we talked about how we were trialing it and we got this about 70% of the time. And we weren't doing it to, to beat it into it. So we need to talk about the back end and how we can make sure that there are, there are checks and balances happening so that consumers don't get upset because that led into what we were going to do as a reward scheme to make people feel really loved by Coca-Cola. Right, and they can't feel loved if they're being rejected at the first hurdle. So then we get into the rest of the presentation, and I'm getting into the creative work now, and I've noticed that the three people at the back of the room are not paying attention. They're looking at their mobile phones down in their lap, kind of under the desk line, and I thought, have I lost them? Have I? Is this what's happened here? I don't understand what's happened. And continued on, don't miss a beat, 
keep going. And after about 15, 20 minutes, one of them said, oh, can I just stop you for a second? We were just texting our tech team to find out what the hell was going on that you've just told us about. We had no idea, and apparently they've just looked into it. It's been broken like that for seven weeks. Oy. Now, over the course of seven weeks, you can imagine how many teens and young adults are buying Coca-Cola and trying to enter the codes. Uh, this is we're talking potentially tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people or at least transactions not happening. Wow. Bad consumer customer service. And they, they, they told us after we won the pitch that the, the, while everything else was great, it was the fact that we came to them with a truth about how something wasn't working that they didn't know about. And so the insight we got out of that was honesty is fantastic. Don't, I mean, if there's a flaw, if something's broken, talk about it, but talk about the solution for it and so forth. Right. Don't shy away from it. You can't always go into a pitch room and go, you're the best brand ever, you've got the best products ever, and we're going to find you the clients that want, the customers want. There are flaws. Everyone knows there are flaws. It's okay to talk about the flaws, but talk about the solution to the flaws and how you're going to overcome, overcome those flaws. And I think our honesty in that and highlighting the diligence that we'd put into being their customer made them go, in terms of a customer loyalty program, you've been a customer, now be on the other end, be our agency. Because it's trust, right? It's all about building trust. Absolutely. It? it was trust. It means in the future they can expect transparency and honesty for you, Correct. you know, in the good and bad times. Yeah. And off the back of that, I found out that Wonderman as a network had been chasing Coke for like four or five years and never won it. And, of course, right. we won it here in Australia. So next thing you know, we became the Coke winners. Right. And all eyeballs for the whole network are now on Sydney, Australia, and it's going gangbusters for us. We made a lot of money. It became look. We we took them on as I believe about a nine hundred thousand dollar, just shy of a million dollars, account. And by year two or three, it was a three and a half million dollar account. So you mentioned pitch theater. Yeah, I love pitch theater. I mentioned that. Got any really good examples? What what are some of your favorites or, or a favorite? Look, I think again, telling stories is good theater. Certainly, if you've got a good storyteller, somebody who's willing to get up there and and, and do it. I I didn't see it, but I, I had it recounted to us after the agency had gone and done the pitch. They came back to the, to, the, to the agency. So after the team had gone and do the pitch, they came back to the agency and they got everyone into a boardroom to, to redo the pitch because they thought it was fucking fantastic. <laughs> and the ECD at the time, he presented a script in this pitch that involved a gorilla going absolutely like going mental at something. And he didn't just show a storyboard or read a script. He acted out the gorilla. He glided up on the boardroom at the client's offices and was thumping up and down and beating his chest and being the gorilla to make them see the vision he had in his head of this TV ad, right? So so there's some pitch theatre in terms of we don't have to get props in. I'm just going to almost lose my mind and become a gorilla (laughs) on your boardroom table in front of you all. I don't care if it breaks to show you that this is this is how passionate I am about this idea and how good it's going to be. And, of course, they won that pitch. Um, I don't think that ad ever went live because after you <laughs> pitch, quite, quite often the client goes, now we'll give you the real brief. Yeah. But pitch theatre. Uh, pitched, pitched once for Optus, very large telco, um, and their, their, their entire campaign for years up to that point had featured animals. It was always just 
doco footage from from safaris and you can imagine Attenborough kind of footage and so forth. That's what they always just they just did animals. It was all these animals. And they their pitch was looking for something new or a new twist. Um, and part of the pitch theater for that one, and that was a very expensive pitch because it was a very lucrative account, is the agency actually hired from a prop company a nine foot tall paper mache elephant model and a giraffe to be in the back of the room <laughs> and and they had this entire room that you were moving through almost like a degustation of the pitch where in the first room we're going to be presenting the the agency credentials the next room the insights the next room the strategy the next room the creative and it was in that room you walk in and there's this enormous elephant and giraffe dominating the room and then you're going to talk about how They've they've been dominating, but they're the animals. People are loving the animals, not loving the brand. And here's the new mm. thing. So so there's pitch theater in that. I did a pitch. It was actually just a project pitch, um, in which we're pitching for some a content campaign from Microsoft, and the idea we had was developers acting like they're in kind of Top Gun flight school, um, and we actually had two of our developers. Halfway through the, or should say, halfway, about third way through, just about to launch into the crave stuff, walk into the room in flight suits with flight helmets on and their mirror sunnies, <laughs> and just stand there in the room as they present the work and then introduce them. Oh, by the way, this is Terry, here's our front end dev, and this is Rabbit, mm. our back end dev, and they live and breathe this stuff. And then they talked a little bit about how they liked the campaign and how it touched into who they were as human, as, as developers and people. Um, so again, pitch theater, we're bringing people in. Um, some good pitch theater can be done in video. Have done one where, you, where you've got your concept um, and you run around the city streets doing a little vox pop with a video camera, yeah, yeah. showing people around, going, what do you think of this? And getting their feedback. Now, of course, you edit it to include the really good ones and a couple of the ones that go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd consider that. Yeah. Like, so that way we present your client, go, we've already tested it. And look, people love it. And even the guy said, oh, I'd like that. We asked him why, and he gave us this answer, right? So you're always showing them research. Um, but it's all it's all theatre. It's it's not real. It's all bullshit. There was, there was one that I had heard of, which was in London for the uh, one of the train systems, like, you know, think about the, the Northern Train Line or whatever it is, right, um, which is notoriously late notoriously out of time, off schedule. When they were looking for an agency, they went to this agency, and I, I think it was AMV BBDO at the time, I think. But when the client turned up to the agency, they were sat in reception. We're not giving any water or anything like that. They were sitting in reception for like a 10 a.m. meeting, and time's ticking over and over and over. And they asked the receptionist, like now 10, 20, and they asked the receptionist, sorry, What's, we're here for a 10 o'clock meeting. What's going on? And she almost blanked them and said, oh, don't worry, and just went back to her desk. At 24, I think it was like 24 minutes past the hour is when the agency staff came out and said, we're ready to present to you now. And they get into the room and the guy said, why did you have us sitting around for 24 minutes? And he said, because that's the average time that your trains are late. That's how your customer feels every single day. And we're going to fix that. I believe they won the account. It's a hard truth. It's a ballsy move. It's some really risky pitch theatre. But it made that senior stakeholder who was sitting there for 24 minutes get an irate 
by every minute that passes by and ready to walk out. And they probably had people watching going, they're about to leave, but they yeah, didn't leave. Yeah. They got to the 24-minute mark or whatever it was and then said that's exactly the average length of time that people are waiting for your trains that they're like. And that's, that's it. It's not just theatre. It's, it's creating an experience and immersing experience. someone into that experience and making yeah. them feel a certain way, not just yeah. acting and putting on sunnies. It's, it could be more than that, you know. Exactly. It's an experience, but yeah, rooted in that genuine human truth. Yeah. This is what your customer feels every day, and you guys wouldn't know because you're all CEOs who drive around in Bentleys. What was the other one that got peaked? We're not going to have enough time to hit all of these stories, but how about <laughs> – I was really interested when you said, I hacked a competitor's ads once. Yeah. What was that? Uh, we were invited to come up with concepts for Xbox in the UK. Um, it was for a game called Watch Dogs. And in this game, you play the role of a hacker with a mobile phone that can hack into any system around you, and you decide I'm going to be the good guy or the bad guy, and, and that unfolds. And the whole it was an amazing game. It was all done, built in, based in Chicago, but they based it so that as an online game, no matter what time you're playing it, it was giving you real-time Chicago. So if it was raining in Chicago, it's raining in your game and so forth. Incredible platform. It was all based around hackers. They came to us and they said, we want to do a campaign for this. The problem we have, the game itself was bankrolled by Sony for PlayStation. Part of that bankrolling to EB Games, I think it was, is they own the rights to the launch. They own the key visual. They even own the font of the word watchdogs. Um, they own the gameplay. So we need to advertise this game without showing any of the game or the key visual or the character or even use the font. And so the idea that we had was we're going to allow Sony to run their campaign, posters and billboards and so forth, but we're going to hack their campaign just like in the game. We're going to invite people to go around their mobile phone and use augmented reality to take a picture of a Sony PlayStation ad and get served up an Xbox offer to get an Xbox with the game already on it. Really ballsy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we had to pitch that to the client. The client freaking loved that. They were like, this is amazing. This solves all the problems. This is amazing. So we start going into, into concept development, and they get a call from the client after about, I don't know, five days. They go, oh, we're really nervous now. I was going to say, I bet legal really, got involved at yeah, some point. Yeah. yeah, we're really, really nervous about this. So we don't think we can go ahead. You might need to come up with a second concept. We went, oh, shit. So we go back to the drawing board, and it was only 24 hours later. They came back and go, no, no, we love it. We love it. We're going to stick with it. We're going to go for it. You guys are right. So we get to the next stage, and it's the day before shooting, and they're going, oh, we don't think we should do this. We really think <laughs> – we're really worried again. We think we should pull out. And then – but they were worried that EB Games was going to be upset. And if they upset mm. EB Games, they would no longer get EB Game titles or would ruin the relationship, right, a B2B relationship. That's what they're worried about. But they said, look, we're taking EB Games out for dinner and drinks tonight. We'll let you know late tonight or early in the morning how it went. Right. <laughs> and they called us late that night, drunk as farts. Oh, they love it. It's awesome. Go for it. So we were going for it. We were, right, we're still on. So in the morning, we turn up the location. We're shooting. And about an hour into the shoot, get the focal going. No, sorry, guys. We really are too scared. We have to pull the plug. Yeah, and we've all got so massive pull- hangovers. <laughs> yeah. They pulled, they pulled the plug, and I said to them, look, we're, we're, it's already paid for. 
our time is paid for, production's paid for, we're here, we're shooting it anyway. Because I also thought they'd probably call us at the end of the day go, is it too late to do it? Change their mind again, yeah. We shot it anyway. We made this We made this campaign and then had it in the bag and sat there waiting for the phone to ring from the, to, to change their mind again. And they didn't change their mind. So the campaign didn't run, but we pitched this idea in this really ballsy move in. And it's a shame it didn't run because we know it would have it would have really worked. It was exactly what the consumer wanted to do. Um, and we've seen stuff like that since then where it's augmented reality to access something and hacking other competitors and so forth. We've seen that kind of stuff happen. This would have been groundbreaking. But, yeah, it was a, a fantastic idea the guys had. Man. Listen, Matt, thank you so much for your time. It's been so insightful. So much tangible stuff. That's what I knew you'd bring. People are going to be like <laughs> making notes all over the place for this. If people want to find out more about you or, or I don't know what you want to advertise oh, here, your agency, oh, look, what, what have look, you got? No, look, I'm glad you asked because I'm here with the pitch guy. I'm going to pitch something. Yes, sir. <laughs> what I what, what I really want is I want people to just follow me on Instagram. It's as simple as that, right? Um, Instagram is at Mr. Chicken Films. That's Mr. Dot Chicken underscore Films. And if you had more time, you'd ask, you'd ask your questions, what the hell and who the hell is Mr. Chicken? Because it's a great story. Do you have four? Yeah, you got four minutes. Yeah, let's do it. What <laughs> the heck is Mr. Chicken? <laughs> Mr. Chicken is the the business name that I came up with for my screenwriting um, and and all those kind of creative endeavors. And it's based on the fact that when my wife and I first met, she called me Chicken. It was just a nice pet name. Oh. And we got married. And suddenly she was Mrs. Chicken. I was Mr. Chicken. Then when we lived in London, before I created this as a business name, I discovered that Number 10 Dowling Street, Downing Street, where the Prime Ministers have lived for 310 years, before they moved in there, that was a private residence owned by a name, Mr. Chicken. Wow. No one knows anything about this man except that what? that was his surname, Mr. Chicken. And somebody went to him and said, we need you to move down the road because we want numbers <laughs> 10 through to 16 to be the houses of government. And he went, all right then. And moved down, I think, to number six or something, lived out his days and died. And no one knew anything about him except for the fact that he moved aside for the British Prime Ministers to take number 10 Downing Street forever. And I like the idea of Mr. Chicken, the enigmatic, mysterious man who said, <laughs> yes, you're more important than me. I'm nobody. And so that's why I like the idea of Mr. Chicken Films, right? Oh, Mr. Chicken I like Films, that Mr. Chicken well. Rights. That's what he does. So, yeah, at Mr. Chicken underscore films. And I love your Instagram. I would recommend everyone go and have a look. Your portfolio is just immense anyway. 150 awards or something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. I, I've, I've lost count. I keep an Excel spreadsheet somewhere that tracks all the awards that I've won um, for, for, for advertising, obviously a lot for advertising, some for my screenwriting, um, a couple for the short films that I've made. Um, I, I, need, I want a book published. So if you've got any kind of lead agents listening, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that that is officially a call out. It's a call out for agents. literary agents. Yes. Any final words of wisdom for the listeners? Final words of wisdom. Life's a pitch, and then you die. So pitch well. Boom. <laughs> Do I mic drop now? Is that what that's right? <laughs> mic drop now. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> See you later. Thanks, Thanks, Daddy. Right, hugs for your family. Thank you. This has been another episode of Pitch Masters. 
Go to pitchguy.co.uk for updates and information or search for Pitch Guy on social media for regular videos on sales, psychology, storytelling, creativity and much more.